Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. Every business is in some way a people business. From Silicon Valley to the restaurant down the street, every business relies on groups of people working together toward a common cause. That's no easy task. While the world around us has evolved into a high-tech, interdependent matrix, our individual software is largely the same as it was 10,000 years ago. We are social, emotional animals balancing a need to fit in with a desire to stand out. Bring us together in large groups, put money on the line, and anything could happen. This is a show where current and aspiring business leaders can understand the people dynamics at play in their organizations and learn skills and techniques to improve their chances of long-term business success. This week, I'm speaking with Cindy Carlson, Senior Vice President with Challenger Grand Christmas on outplacement and how to downsize humanely in tough times. Cindy is responsible for developing, delivering, and implementing outplacement consulting, job training, and executive coaching. She has successfully managed many large outplacement projects and is skilled at training others in networking techniques and interviewing. Cindy is especially passionate about helping professionals with navigating their careers. Cindy is a conduit between Challenger Gray and Christmas and the HR community with a network of key executives that spans the country. She is the creator of the Challenger List, a listing of HR job openings around the country that's now seen by over 10,000 people each week. Cindy is an expert at what she does. She is incredibly passionate about helping people find new jobs and about helping companies downsize effectively and humanely. Um, And we get into both sides of it here. There are tips and techniques for employers. There are tips and techniques for job seekers, those who have been laid off. Um, And then there's just a bunch of great discussion on a wide range of business topics. So we really had a good time. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Cindy Carlson. Three, two, one. And we're live. Cindy Carlson, how are you doing today uh, down in Asheville? It's a good day. Good. Everyone's healthy, so it's a good day. All right. Well, um, was thinking about ways to start this, and you know, it just sort of occurred to me as I've been talking to clients and prospective clients out there, like this situation that we're in right now, being having the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, stay-at-home orders. I actually, just before we jumped on here, saw an email from our governor uh, here in Illinois that that he's extended the stay-at-home order until May 30th. And when it comes to the the business side of what's going on right now in the economy, it it really is like a tale of two cities. You have some people who have been absolutely devastated and you have some people who are really still thriving. It kind of surprises me how many people I talk to that I expect you know, maybe sort of a, a melancholy tone to be like, oh no, we're swamped. You know, business is, is jamming right now um, for some reason that I, I didn't even think about. And, you know, your business is one that really is essential right now, kind of, you know, unfortunately, you know, I'm, right. I'm right. glad you I guys mean- are doing well, but <laughs> it's kind of unfortunate that you're needed right now. Um, I guess, would you just kick off by explaining like what it is that you do and how, how you explain that to people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on the unfortunate part, people always think, well, you must be happy when uh, the, you know these downturns happen. No, one, I would never want this to happen to people. And um, 
Two, I have a 401k. I have stocks. I don't want any of this to happen. And honestly, you know, up until five, six weeks ago, the market was really, really good. And we were really, really busy doing helping organizations with layoffs, which is what we do. And that's that's an environment I love to work in because not only you know, are we getting business, obviously we're a for-profit company, but we're able to help these people find jobs really, really quickly. Um, and that's what we do. I always equate ourselves to kind of the hospital for the unemployed. Um, so right now, you know, we're, we're getting an influx of patients right now, um, just like the hospitals, but obviously not as important as they are, but you know, someone's job is their livelihood. So what Challenger does is we partner with organizations, corporations, nonprofits, big, small companies, just to make sure that, you know, if you're going to have to make these hard business decisions, let's do it right. Um, let's make sure that these people are handled with dignity and respect. Um, and let's del deliver the news in a way that can be heard. And these people have the best chance to transition as smoothly and as quickly as possible. But it's not just about quickly with us. It really is about, well, hey, if you're going to go through this hard journey that you're about to go through, let's do it right. Let's do it right from the beginning and make it count, right? And you know, our clients, over 90% of them find equivalent or better positions. Um, so we really try to adhere to that stat more than, you know, our clients are finding jobs in two and a half months right now. So that, that's, that's what we do in a nutshell. Okay. And yeah. so th I think that kind of gets part of the way to my next question, but how many times or how often do you get what you do misconstrued for the movie up in the air? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so funny when that came, I think it came out in 2008 or nine. I, I think it's when uh, it sounds came about out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was right about then. I mean, again, we were so busy during that time. I mean, just unprecedented amount of business. And so I didn't even watch that movie for two years. So people would say something to me. And I even remember in my kind of pitch when people asked what I do, I would say before I'd seen the movie, I was like, yeah, you know, George Clooney in that movie. I'm like, I'm kind of like George Clooney. That's what I do. But there, there was a lot of misconceptions in that movie. I mean, yeah. God, it made us look like a heartless business when, you know, I, I like to think that we're the complete opposite of that. But Well, it was all about firing people, right? That, that was like, right. bring us in and we'll fire your people for you. Right. And that's not, we're like, we're not the bobs in the office, right? The movie, yeah. the office. Like, we're, that's not what we do. We don't go in and say, like, these are the people you need to, fire and we're going to do it for you. Mm -mm, those, those business decisions are made by the company. The news is delivered typically by, you know, the HR professional and a manager. Um, and we are the second conversation that they have. Uh, and, and so they're delivered this really, really hard news. And then typically either they walk into a room next door with us um, and let me tell you, I got stories upon stories <laughs> about that. Um, oh, God. I mean, oh, what a I mean, vulnerable time, too, right? And, oh. and I imagine people just in that moment react in all manner of ways. I would say 95% of the time, people act incredibly professional. Um, and it's so funny. A lot of times, HR folks, when we're planning these conversations, they'll say, you'll need to look out for Bob or, you know, Sally, because they're going to be very emotional, or we're afraid they're going to be upset. We're going to have security outside. Those are the ones you never really have to worry about, honestly. Um, it, it's the ones you're not expecting, you know, and I've seen, I've seen grown men cry on the ground and, um, 
you know, a guy has punched a hole in the wall next to my head. Um, <laughs> I know. Thankfully, we're trained for all of this. And, um, and, and what, really, in jujitsu? Well, <laughs> well, that one is funny. My initial reaction was, well, you're, I think what I said was, you're going to act like a five-year-old. I'm going to treat you like a five-year-old. Now you need to sit down, <laughs> you know, but, um, good for you. Yeah. It's, you just, that conversation is really about stop, breathe. You're going to be okay. You, whatever emotions you have right now are completely fine. You know, whether they're crying or they're upset or in shock or, you know, and, and, and then to share with them, it's like the grief process, you know, they're going to go through a lot of different stages and, like grief, it's not linear, right? Um, one day they're going to be really happy and then next day they're going to be upset or angry or, you know, at the situation. So kind of helping them prepare for that and then telling them the services of which we're going to provide them with. And honestly, they don't hear a word that we say during that notification other than they remember someone's going to do their professional resume and they remember that someone's going to help them. And that's, we always follow up the next day and say, all right, let's go over this again. Um, but yeah, that, that's what we do. We don't sit there on a, you know, it's funny. That was like all done via uh, video calls or phone calls. And I was like, you would never do, you would never really do that. Well, now all of these are going to be delivered <laughs> via video or phone calls. So sure. Um, kind of new times. Yeah. So what, uh, for, for, this time, well, uh, let me ask it as a question rather than make an assumption here. Is there something different this time than there was maybe in 08 or 09? Of course. Yeah. Um, one thing about 08, that was a, that was a financial crisis, right? And the United States has been through financial crises before. And so you can, you can look at the bell-shaped curve of our market over time and you know what goes up must come down and what goes down will come up. And, and I still believe we're going to come up from this. So, um, so there's no you know, super negativity there. But um, what's different about this is you can't plan really for it. You, we don't know. Nobody knows. I mean, I'm talking to the, the executives at Fortune 10 companies and they don't know, you know, we don't know when this is going to end. I mean, we survey people about, um, you know, 24% said that um, they think it will last about one to three months. Okay. How do they know? <laughs> none, yeah. of us, none, none of us know. Maybe. That. maybe. Yeah. Maybe, you know, 4% said two weeks. Well, they're wrong already. So, um, you know, and 2% will be into the year. We just, we don't know. And there's so many different the world's just going to look different after this business is going to look different. You know, 28% of our customers said their work from home policy is going to become permanent now. What, you know, what is, what does all that mean? What's it going to look like after this? And it's really hard to plan your business when you don't know anything from supply chain to, you know, your customers, but it's really about their customers. And I mean, how can you even plan for that? Yeah. I mean, I, I've talked to a couple of folks in the private equity industry who, you know, have a number of different portfolio companies and, and they, the, the one friend of mine in particular said that they were running projections at what if they lost 10% of revenue, 25%, 50% and 75%. They ran, they ran all those scenarios yeah. and then came up with contingency plans for all of them because they just, there was no telling what this was going to look like. And so mm -mm. now is it, 
you know, as they see that impact, they can then just pull out that playbook that they built at the beginning of this whole thing and do it, just follow those steps. Uh, but I don't know that everybody's done that. No, Yeah, <laughs> I can, I can tell you they're trying, right? So we've, we're kind of in, I don't know, phase two or three of this. I saw phase one was, okay, this is coming. Is it really going to be a huge impact? You know, I'm talking with my customers. Some were really ahead of the curve. Um, the next step was, you know, like, oh shit, here it is. Um, what do we, what do we need to plan for? And that was just, how do we get everyone working from home? How do we, you know, keep people safe if this is an essential business and, you know, cleaning and masks and all that. And now I sense, cause now I'm having these conversations with customers about, okay, what is it? What, what is this going to actually look like? What, you know, what does furloughs look like? A lot of them have already taken that, those actions. Are we going to need to do layoffs? Again, but it's in that what we were just talking about that planning phase where you, you don't really know, and so you have to you have to think of so many different scenarios and and plan for them. My father and I were talking last night about I just it was it's really interesting because I wish there wasn't so much human suffering attached to this because it's making all of us use our brains, you know, and, and these business obstacles that are like kind of fun to figure out, but I'm just. I wish it wasn't because of what we're having to do it for, but, um, yeah, I, I felt that way a lot. I, I keep saying, Oh, this is so interesting. This is so interesting. And I feel like I'm being heartless. Uh, yeah. but it's, it, it is interesting. I mean, it's a problem that we have not had to face in a long time. I mean, you can go back maybe to the Spanish flu epidemic, but that was a, yeah. people were living in a very different world then than we are now. And, and the way that we're going to solve some of these challenges is going to be very different. So, uh, it, it is interesting. It, it is. And, and we have the privilege of saying it's interesting at our level, right? True. I mean, yes. for some folks, it's not interesting at all. And, yeah. um, you know, they're in a, they're in a lot different situation where it's kind of life or death for them. So it, it, it's such a spectrum as well, but yeah, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. Yeah. yeah. Are, now, do you get involved in helping people determine whether they should be laying people off or furloughing them or pulling pulling levers in other ways because you know I was talking to somebody the other day and she was saying that her CFO wanted to do furloughs but the people that they were going to furlough when she actually did the math it wasn't really going to save them much money because they were going to have to pay cobra they were going to have to pay right. their unemployment there was there were all these other costs to furloughing that population. And so she was going back to make the recommendation that maybe we should actually go look at a different portion of the population. Um, do you get involved with that stuff or is that, have those decisions already been made? Um, 100%. Um, and, and sometimes they have already been made. Um, sometimes they're looking for best practices. What have some of our other customers done that has worked and, um, you know, things of that nature. We, People would think otherwise, but we actually, especially during times like this, we try to help them come up with alternative ways. Um, and whether that's furlough or maybe an early retirement plan, right? Like you might have a, a large population that could retire, um, helping them do that, you know, paid time off, leave of absence. Um, but then we also think, help them think about the timing. Um, you know, one of the biggest, I'd say, the best things you can do, but also the biggest mistakes is, is you really should make a timely decision on this. Um, and what I mean by that is 
if you wait and, and people think, well, maybe we'll just wait, maybe we can save jobs. What tends to happen is you lose a lot more money and then you have less money to provide resources for those that are going to be displaced, right? Like less money for COBRA and severance and, and outplacement services. And so, and then it's really unique during this time because, you know, people are getting a lot more um, unemployment right now. They're getting an additional $600 a week. Um, you know, it's not going to make them whole, but um, it might be better to do it now and then have some sort of contingency plan on how do you rehire them, right? If business does start coming back, you don't want to give them that kind of hope going into it. But, you know, having that kind of contingency plan on how you could rehire them if needed, those are the kind of things you have to think about. One of the things that I've heard is making sure that you cut deep enough mm. and that you don't want to keep going back to the well, trying to take more water out, that you want to go do what you have to do the first time and then readjust, realign your business and then move forward and be done with it. Is, how do you feel about that sentiment? Yeah, I, I wish there was one perfect way to do this. I mean, you know, I get cut, I get questions like that, or should we give them a long runway? Or, um, you know, I have one customer that tells their people like a year in advance. And I don't, there's pros and cons to that, both of them, right? Um, but in terms of, you know, kind of how, how to do it, it really does depend on the situation. I mean, I wish I could give you, um, you know, a specific example. I'll try to think of one here in a minute, but um, it really just depends on the situation, you know, and, and that company's business and what they're doing and, um, and their people. But oh, gosh, I mean, I wish cutting deep enough what it does do is it has a little bit of brand reputation protection, right? You, you can go in, you can make the cuts, and then you can really take care of those that are, um, you know, remaining employees. You can um, control the messaging a little bit more. So, so that's the bonus to cutting deep enough. But just hopefully you just do the due diligence on whether you should, you should cut that deep. Because you don't want to cut so deep you can't then perform, because then you're going to have a whole other heap of problems. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like a hierarchy kind of you go through, do you really need to cut or are there alternate solutions? So look at the alternatives mm -hmm. first because you never want to take somebody's job away and then really do an assessment of how deep do you need to cut, but keeping your business viable mm -hmm. and then, and then go to that level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think if I had to make a personal, just from doing this for almost 15 years. I think the Band-Aid ripping off is, is probably a little bit better than, you know, um, phased layoffs are fine if they're all communicated in advanced, but, you know, laying off every single quarter, it's your employee, your culture is gonna be really damaged by that, right? People are gonna be working in fear. They're not gonna be as, um, you know, they're not going to be stewards of your company as much because they don't trust you as much. So I, I, I personally think probably a band-aid approach, but that doesn't work in every scenario. So it really does depend on the situation and the company and the culture. Sure. And, and yeah. in the state we're in right now, like you said earlier, we don't know what the mm -hmm. duration of this is going to be. So you might run your projection saying, we think we're going to lose th a third of our business for the foreseeable future. And three months from now, you realize it's going to be 50% of your business. And so you, you mm -hmm. need to make some additional cuts. So 
I think there we're going to see those dynamics as well, but I do just what I've read of human nature. It's, it seems like a good idea to go as far as you will eventually need to go just right away and just, just admit it as hard as that is to admit and then be, and then build back up. Cause it's always nicer to be bringing people back on than it is to be offloading more people in the future. True. There is an additional cost to that you have to factor in though. I mean, onboarding is not free, you know, so that's a good point. So you kind of have to do that cost benefit analysis of, of the two. I mean, if you can just bring back the people that you, you know, you let go, that's more of a furlough situation, but yeah, that's what I mean. It's just, but one, one of the things you can do in the meantime, and it's one of the best practices during this time is just communication, right? Um, during this time, we're really saying weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, whatever it needs to be, probably not monthly, things are changing too quickly, but, you know, really communicate, you know, company-wide or at least department-wide the state of the health of the business, right? And, and be transparent, be authentic. Don't be doomsday. Don't make everyone terrified, but, you know, be a leader and be open and transparent about what's going on. And therefore when, when, or if you do have to make those decisions, it's not, it's not completely out of the blue. And these people haven't been just terrified the whole time, right? At least they felt like they were a part of it. So communication is going to be, um, you know, a, a big part of this. And I, I see a lot of companies doing a really good job with that. So what does that look like when they do a really good job? And, and conversely, what does it look like with some of the companies that you've seen who haven't been as effective with it? Yeah. And I, and again, I, I think one of the great things about one of, I don't want to say great things. One of the beautiful things about this timing right now is just, I believe everybody's giving everyone a little bit more grace. Right. And um, you know, whether that's at the grocery store or your spouse or, you know, or your, your company, um, you know, I'm hearing folks being laid off now where, you know, maybe, you know, in February, early February, they would have been like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. And, and now their, their messaging is, you know, it's just the way of the world right now. So well, I don't want to say some of these companies, I haven't seen a company that's being heartless. I haven't, I haven't seen that. I've seen a lot of heart during this time. Um, but, uh, I've seen some leaders rise to the occasion and some leaders are human, you know, and, and having a hard time with it. So it's kind of a roundabout answer of how they communicate. Um, they created a COVID-19 response team right away. That is, you know, their job is to monitor what needs to be done and forecasting and how to keep employees safe, how to communicate, um, that team is strong and it's important and it's a part of the, the executive team. Um, secondly, are those meetings, you know, making sure that everyone knows what the state of the business is. Hey, we can't get our, you know, 30% of our supply chain in. Um, we don't know what that means yet, or it does mean this. I mean, whatever you need to communicate um, that is appropriate and transparent and authentic, that, that's going to be, that's going to do a lot of wonders. And, and, but no one's shocked right now. So you don't really have to worry about the shock factor as some, in some other times you do. Who do you see delivering those messages? You know, is it your immediate supervisor that should be telling you that, or is it the CEO of the company? Like, how do you see the communication flowing effectively? Yeah. And in, in, in large fortune, let's say, 
I don't know, Fortune 100 companies, I say a lot of these are being delivered through town halls. Um, and those town halls are being, it, it depends on what the messaging is. If it's a state of the business, it's usually the CEO. If it's a state of, you know, employee safety or um, what they're going to be doing in terms of employees, it's usually the head of HR, the CHRO um, that are doing these, these meetings. Um, but again, every company's different. If you kind of get out of those really, really large, complex organizations, it might be better that your supervisor is the one delivering it to your team. Um, so I, as long as it's being delivered in a clear and concise and consistent message, you know, you don't want executive leadership saying one thing and then when it gets down the chain, it becomes from a supervisor, well, you know, up top's telling us this and, and it needs to be clear, consistent, and that just makes people feel safe. Sure. Well, and, yeah. you know, it's very hard to over communicate in a situation like this because people are going to be craving some sort of information. And right. so if so you're true. not filling that void with the, the message that makes everybody comfortable, or at least, at least makes them feel safe that the leadership is thinking about this stuff the right way, then other messages are going to start to bubble up. Oh yeah. A lot of, a lot of rumors. There's a lot of rumor mills right now. And, and listen, sometimes those rumor mills aren't things that, and, and, you know, when you get lower down in an organization, they can't understand that that can't be communicated yet, right? I mean, once you get up to the top, you're not going to make everybody happy and you need to just kind of accept that. Um, but the, the leaders that I have seen that have really rose to the occasion, it's they're taking all the best information, you know, they can, they're processing that information and they're, they're creating a plan to the best of their ability of what to do next. And sometimes that takes time. And so rumor mills can get going during that time. There's, that's just human nature. There's nothing you can really do about that. What do you do with the people who are left? Mm, remaining employees. Yeah, there, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot to do with, you know, how you notify those that are leaving versus how do you notify those that are remaining. I think some of the bi biggest best practices, I would say, is um, first thing you do is take care of those that are departing. Like, you have to do that process right. Because... You know, Bob and Sally sat next to each other for 12 years. Sally was let go. Sally's still texting Bob, you know, and if, and if it sure. wasn't done right, it's going to have a huge impact on your brand, right? And your, and your employee reputation. And um, so the, the number one thing you can do is make sure that those people are treated really, really well. And, there, and there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, then you really have to plan for what that new organization looks like, right? Um, what are the new roles, who's taking over Sally's work, um, you know, and really just what it will look like and then how can you clearly communicate it, right? Um, and then you got to spin the message a little bit, right? You have to focus on the positive. You have to focus on this is going to be a great opportunity for those of you for X, Y, and Z reason. Um, and then you just got to, you got to give people time to process it, right? Yeah. Um, people process this information in a lot of different ways. I mean, in my own marriage, my husband processes things very quickly and I take a very long time to process things. So, you know, everyone's very, very different. And in the work environment, it's the same way. You, you know, they're going to grieve their friends. Um, you know, these people sometimes spend more time with their colleagues than they do their family members, right? So you really got to give them that space and just, again, communication, repeat what you know, 
um, ensure that you're going to keep them informed. And then obviously just any sensitive, you don't want to be like, Hey, I delivered the news to Sally and she freaked out. I mean, that's confidential information. That's, that's part of handling this with dignity and respect. And then that's, that's all you, that's all you can do really. After that, it's going to take whatever course it is, but if you do that right, it's a difference between night and day of when companies do it right and when companies do it wrong, what that after life looks like to them. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, you know, you talked about everybody having a little more grace now than they maybe gave each other six weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's true. That's what's needed at least inside companies too, when this is happening. And so we often think about giving grace to the people who got laid off because they're in this really tough situation, but the people who stayed are going to need grace as well because there's suffering that they're going to be going through. There's grieving that they're going to be going through. There's survivor's guilt, I would imagine. Oh yeah, there is. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. um, And uh, I mean, survivor's guilt is very complicated in an emotion of, you know, in and of itself and a lot of different scenarios, but in terms of corporate world, I, I think communication of the reason why, And then you just have to kind of accept, right? One of the things I hear from people that are let go is like, I just, I don't understand why. And one of the things I always tell them is I I want to be honest with you that you may never find out the why, right? And you, they'll come up with all their own reasons. It was my age. It was my boss didn't like me. It wasn't, you know, it was all these things, but it's kind of the same thing with the survivors is it, you just kind of got to accept that that's, that's, this is the way it shook out and you ended up on this side and, and it's up it's completely their prerogative too. If they didn't like how it was handled or they aren't comfortable with or sure of where the company's going, they can start a confidential search. That's their prerogative. You know, you're, you're the CEO of your own career. So you have to take responsibility for it. You shouldn't just sit back in the passenger seat and let it happen to you. So, um, you know, you have, you have some control over it too, even if you're a survivor. I mean, it's like, it's funny, as you were saying that I was thinking just it's like, it's like any breakup. You know, like (laughs) how many times, how many times have you broken up with somebody or have been broken up with? And it's like, oh, well, you know, why? And and what were they thinking and what happened? And, you know, you may never get that closure. No, you don't. You don't. And it's a we. It's so funny. We equate. Sorry, I'm so pregnant. So I have to like move around a lot right now. So, (laughs) so sorry about this. Um, All right. So, you know, we equate the, the notification and the termination to breakups a lot or divorces. And then job searching is a lot like dating. I mean, they're perfect. (laughs) They're perfect scenarios for each other. So yeah, it's exactly what it's like. Well, one of the things that I want to keep pointing out with this show is all the principles are the same. Mm -hmm. You know, it's anytime you have two people or, or a group of people that have inner play and dynamics, it, all the same principles apply. So anything Mm -hmm that you are talking about when you're talking about trying to form relationships with people are going to be similar, whether you're trying to date somebody, whether you're trying to, whether you're in sales and you're trying to sell something or, you know, whether you're a company looking to acquire another company, you know, it's like those people dynamics are all going to be the same and and same on the the breakup side. Like it's, there's only a few principles and then it just gets played out a thousand different ways. Oh, I mean, well, what do they say? Isn't it something like there's only seven storylines that just get repeated? 
you know, over and over I don't over know the again. number, I but I know seven. it's small. I yeah. think it might be four. Yeah. Is it four? Yeah. It's something, something like that. And it's, it's the same thing. I mean, and then I think of, you know, the phrase of just keep it simple, stupid, just we're all humans. You're going to, you're going to see only a couple different things happen and just prepare for those and be kind. <laughs> yeah. There's a great, I, there's a great video. Um, I think it's Kurt Vonnegut talking about storytelling and he talks about there are there are only four arcs to a story that you can have mm. and he and he goes through he said some you start real high and then you come down and then you come back up there's some where you start real low and come up and and then there was like one that was like squiggly and kind of all over the place and it it was really interesting to think about and you're like yeah pretty much any story i've ever read or heard followed one of these four or or a scenario in your life or <laughs> yeah you know you that's what we it's, we're we're a bunch of math. That's all we are. We're just math. <laughs> we're just math. We're uh, we're math on our own hero's journey. Oh, there we go. I love that. I love that. Go. That would you should market you, that. <laughs> yeah, you turn that. That'd be like a funky looking tattoo to put on yourself. Um. So you you had mentioned the people who are leaving, and and I liked what you said about you're the CEO of your own career, and you should be proactive with this stuff anyway. Flipping over to that side, what are the things that people should be thinking about either when they're sitting in their current job that might be struggling or if you do find yourself laid off or furloughed? Yeah, and those are those are two kind of separate in my mind those are two separate things. So for if you're sitting in your I'll start with sitting in your job something you should always be doing is networking, right? I mean, it's who you know, especially in our city of Chicago. Uh, you know, we're this Midwest, everyone's interconnected. Um, and I don't care if you're entry level or board of director. Uh, board of directors know it better than anybody, but it's it really is about who you know. So, and when I say that, it's not going out and passing out your business card or going to networking meetings. It's really making, you know, meaningful connections with one another. I call them friendships, you know, I mean, I'm shoot, if I'm going to do this all day long, I might as well make these people my friends because that's way you more fun. Might as well fun. like them. Yeah, right, you might as well like exactly. the people you spend your time like with. Like you, I met you. I'm like, I like you. This is good. Let's do some things together, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, that's number one to me is always just networking um, and having, you know, meaningful connections, not just what can these people do for me, but what can you do for them and, and kind of come from that giving place. Two is you know, keep up on your skills, become a niche in something, right? That, that you are the expert in that, um, get additional certifications. See if your company provides you with any dollars for that. Um, ask for coaching, ask for, you know, just make yourself better. Always be learning as well. Um, you know, reading books, just becoming a better version of yourself professionally. We should be doing it personally too, professionally. Um, and, and then making yourself useful. Um, you know, don't just sit back and get your job done. Get your job done really, really well and do more than what they asked you for. And if you need to go to your supervisor, go say, hey, what else do you need help with? Or um, I heard you were, you're grappling with this. I pulled some research together for you or, you know, whatever it may be. Just go above and beyond. Be an overachiever if you can. Um, and some people aren't made to be like that and they just want to go to work. And guess what? That's okay too. But if this is kind of the cloth you're cut from, then that's 
the best way to go about it. But it does well, make there's, it. There's a piece there too that's not, sorry to interrupt, but no, like please. there's, I think often people get uh, stuck because they're, they think that to be an overachiever means they have to be the Michael Jordan of their workplace, right? And that's not necessarily what you're talking about. It's just about being a good team player. It's about raising your hand when something comes up that needs to be done. It's about helping out somebody who's overloaded themselves. And that doesn't mean that you can't ask for help when you right. need it too, oh, right? True. But I, I think there's like this pressure with, oh, I have to be this overachiever. I have to be this high performer. And you don't have to be the person. You just have to be a great contributing member. You have to be, you have to be engaged. You know where that shows up for me? Like the, the thing that just comes to mind is, and I don't know if in your work world, do you have this where you know when you email so-and-so, it's going to get done. You don't need to flag it to make sure it gets done. But then there's some people where you're like, I got to flag it. I'm going to have to go back and make sure they did it. I'm going to have to. So it's, and, and I, always take a compliment from someone that says like, I know when I send it to you, it's going to get taken care of. I don't have to think about it again. Be that person. Like that is the number one, be a reliable colleague that if someone asks you to do something, you, it doesn't mean you have to get done or get it done perfect, but follow up, make sure it gets closed out. And um, just being that person to your colleagues is just, I love those people. I love those people so yeah. much. <laughs> we all do. We, we all love uh, those people because uh, they're reliable. What yeah. could you talk about the networking piece of it a little bit more? Cause that's another term that just makes people uncomfortable. It turns people off. And it's, I don't, part of it is, Oh, I don't want to go out, put myself out there and meet people. I don't know. But part of it is just like, I don't know where to start. I don't know what the value is that I would bring to somebody. I don't know. Like, sure. I could know three or four people in my industry, but I don't know what I'm going to do with that in the future. So is there a way that people should be thinking about their network that's maybe a little bit more engaging and a little bit more real, maybe leads to some more friendships than just, oh, I need to have a strong business network? Oh, I have so many things to say about this. I think a good place to start is in your company, right? Like if you're, if you're sitting, again, if we're talking about the folks that are sitting in their roles, you know, who is the person above you? Not necessarily your manager, but who do you want to be, right? Think about that. Um, where do you want your career to take you? And then who are the people right now that are doing that work and are living that lifestyle? You know, whether that's in within your own company or maybe you want to do something totally different, go find those people on LinkedIn and then reach out to them and say, Hey, I want to be you one day. You know, can I, can I pick your brain on how you got there so I can start to connect the dots myself? People love to talk about themselves. If you let them talk about themselves, they'll like you. And if they like you, they'll help you. And that's, that's really what networking is all about is just, you know, you're making them feel good. Um, hopefully you'll find a way in the, in the future to be able to help them. Um, you know, and, and they're giving you some sort of help resource advice. One thing I do hate though, on that notice when people, and I don't want to knock anybody that maybe listens to this and they said it to me before, but when people are like, will you be my mentor? No, I don't have time. I don't, I can't be your mentor, but I'll give you all the advice that you ask, like come to me with, good questions and, um, you know, make it count. I think about that all the time. And it's like, you don't need a mentor to get mentorship. Mm -mm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. No, you know, you, all you need to do is go ask people for advice or help in some way. And that's mentorship, right? That's learning. That's how you do it. And so many people are like, Oh, well, I need a formal mentor or like this one person's my mentor. And 
you know, when I started at Lockton, I was given a mentor and he was, he was awesome. He's now the CEO of our Midwest series. So he was awesome. a great guy to learn from, but I didn't learn everything from him. I learned it from all the people who had been there for years before I got there. And there are little parts of each person that I took in and melded into the collective that I've become. And, and I, always, I continue to do that. And I think so many people miss out when they only rely on one formal mentor or when they feel like it has to be something formal for them to be able to ask for help. Oh, so love all of that. Yes. I mean, and, and there's, I, I see where that happens the most is when, and it's not always in younger people, honestly, but th their ego gets in the way of, you know, they feel like they need to be this like professional that knows everything to these, you know, to impress these executives or, you know, whoever it is that they're talking to when I'm more impressed by that one, th those that are like, I don't, I don't know. What do, what do I need to know? You know, and um, I've experienced this and how should I have handled it? Those that want to actually grow and learn through the experience. So from, from a networking standpoint, that's always a really good place to start. And it, it just makes you be a, you know, really conscious of your career and really intentional of your career, where you want to be, who you want to be. Don't reinvent the wheel. I mean, like you said, you're going to take a little bit from everyone and make it your authentic self, but the paths are already out there. Just go figure out how to do it and follow the lead of those that have already done it. So that would be number one. Number two would be any sort of associations that have to do with what you do. I mean, networking with uh, your peers is always good, especially from a job search standpoint, whether it's when you're in transition or confidential, confidentially looking, you know, you guys can share leads, you can share market intelligence. Um, you know, you have a question on something you're working on at work and, you know, you do want to look like the hero at work. So you can call, I always say Bob and Sally, those are the names I always use, you know, Bob or Sally over at the association, you know, and um, say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Have you ever dealt with it? And it's just always good to have peer networks. Um, and something that I'm going to divert a little bit here, but something right now, thinking about being really conscious of who your peer network is right now and what they're dealing with. So if you're in transition, we're confidentially searching and you want to network right now to do that, which is, you know, you got to do that. But, you know, for like my HR friends right now, my HR executive friends, I'm like, it's going to be hard to get in front of CHROs right now. Like they're the front line of this in the corporate world. So just be really conscious of how you're networking with folks right now, what they're, you know, really just being empathetic to what they're dealing with and try to add value first if they are the front lines of this thing. Or maybe they're like in marketing and I mean, marketing's really important right now too, but you know, maybe they're in a function that isn't very busy right now. Um, and then you can't go network a ton. Um, so, so within your company or, or, you know, mentor-ish type situations, associations, um, and then really think about who you know in your own network. Um, you know, you have college friends and um, neighbors and, that's a really valuable network that a lot of people don't tap into. Yeah. I, I think I see people just not asking enough questions of their peers or thinking to ask questions. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk to somebody and they're struggling with something and I can't believe that they haven't reached out to other people to ask for help, you know, and I, I, we all have that. I mean, I have it too. I, I like to lone wolf it as much as anybody else. <laughs> uh, and it is a, it is a, strength in some ways, but it is a flaw in a lot of other ways. And it's something that I work to overcome. Uh, but every single time I ask for help, I'm glad I did. Mm, so true. I mean, that's in life and work, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Same. And I, same. My ego gets in the way sometimes where I don't want to be seen as someone that doesn't know something, but I don't know everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I got, I have one more soapbox on the networking thing that Please. I'll stand, I'll Please. preach from, and then I'll step down and ask you some more <laughs> questions. But um, I, I struggled because I was a young sales guy trying to sell to executives. You know, I was in my 20s. Yeah. So I was in my 20s trying to sell to 50, 60 year old executives. And I always felt like when I was out networking or when I was saying, I was like, I don't have anything of value to provide these people. You know, I, I don't know a lot of people. I don't, I don't even know what I do that well yet. Um, <laughs> and, and so I, so true. I always felt like I, I couldn't go to places or, or maybe I couldn't talk to somebody because there was nothing that I could bring to them. And a realization that I had a, a number of years ago is if you just broaden your definition of value, mm -hmm. it's, you can be so much more effective and life becomes so much more fun. So now, you know, if I'm out talking to somebody who might be a business prospect of mine, right, they might be a buyer of the services that I sell. That's great. And I could provide value in that way, but, but they may have some relationship that they're never going to buy from me. And so I could be like, okay, well, they provide me no value now and I could totally cut them out. But maybe they are big charity donors and they like the nonprofit that I volunteer my time with and I can connect them and really help that nonprofit. And now they're providing value to something that I care about and they're providing value to me. Or maybe I know something about the school district that they're trying to get their kids into and I can help them out in that way. Uh, even though, you know, they're not going to buy for several years, I'm still providing value to that person. And so I think mm -hmm. the more we can just broaden what we're looking for out of those interactions, the more, the stronger the relationships you can build, the more fun you can have. And ultimately, the more of whatever the thing that you're ultimately after you get. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, That's my one... soapbox on that. I'll step off of it now, but I, I just, I made that mistake for so long. And as soon as I started to broaden that, I was like, oh, this is way more fun. Yeah. Well, I, I, when you go at it from that perspective of you're, you're listening to the person of how can I help, you know, how can I, how can I add value? How can I help? And you're, you're trying to process, you know, how you can do that first. I find that, you know, I get what I want. It's not, but it's not why I do it right? It's like, it's not why you do it. Really, if you can come from a really just selfless place as much as possible, you know, I find I get more of what I want. I remember, <laughs> I remember when I convinced John Challenger when I was, I don't know, I think 23 years old, um, you know, I walked in his office and said, I, I think I should be a sales executive. I know I'm not the age nor the gender because no one was female in the outplacement industry 15 years ago. And um, uh, and I don't look, I don't look like anybody that does this, but I, I was doing something at the time that I was like, I'm not even trying, I'm getting calls for business. He's like, well, you got to meet with CHROs. And I was like, I, I could probably do that. And like you, I was like, how the hell am I, are they going to really take me seriously? And I remember I walked across the street to, um, Sears tower at the time, but, um, Willis tower and met with a CHRO who was so kind enough to meet me. And, um, and I remember one of the things he said, it was like, he was really looking for an organizational effectiveness leader. And I was like, well, let me, let me tap my network and see if I can't find, you know, some ideas for you. 
And then I walked back to my office and I sat down and I Googled, what is organizational effectiveness? Because <laughs> I, I had <laughs> no idea what those words meant at the time. You know? let, and, me, let me tap my network. Yeah, let me tap my G-O-O-G-L-E.com. And so I looked it up. I made myself very familiar with it, read tons of Sherm papers, you know, started going to some Hermac meetings of, you know, organizational effectiveness so I could make myself aware of it. I, I looked in my network. I had a few. I, I called them. I asked them questions like, what does it mean? What is that network like? And I was able to provide them with three or four people and he ended up hiring one of them, you know? So you don't have to have all the answers. You just got to figure them out and, and ask the right questions, right? Well, that, I mean, that's, I was thinking about this before and I'm, I'm glad you told that story because I, it was hard to insert at the moment you said it, which is like, you talked about raising your hand. You talked about being useful. And like, I did cheat and read some of your bio and some stories, some another interview that you did. And like, that's, that's what you've done your whole career is you've, you've yeah. raised your hand for things that people were struggling with where they didn't have anybody to raise their hand. And so I think you've embodied that advice you've given. And it mm -hmm. seems like you're well on your way, uh, yeah, it's worked. With that strategy, yeah. Oh, we've had, and I've had fun, right? And I I, I know so many incredible people and I've had so many incredible examples or experiences. And um, it's just, it, for me, it's just been a much more fun way of going about doing this thing called career, right? And, um, and, and you do, you got to fake it a little bit before you make it. Oh God, do I fake it before I make it sometimes, you know? Um, but you got to, what do you have to lose? The worst thing you're gonna do is fail, and that's one of the best things you can do. So yeah, I've yeah. I've said for a long time uh, that I'm one well-educated question away from being exposed as a total fraud. <laughs> that means you're good though, because that's that's what true successful people feel like all of the time. <laughs> yeah, I, when I started, I was just like, I, I'm not this way as much anymore. But I remember when I was starting, and I I was just expecting some question to come out of the person's mouth, and I was just gonna like. Well, I'm going to pack myself up and stand up and head out because you, you got, got me. me. <laughs> I've, I got no idea. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know any of this. So. Totally. Well, I mean, I'm an outplacement expert and there's still things that I learn every day because it's always changing, oh, sure. you know, yeah. so. You just, I mean, I'm in the world of healthcare. You know, we're, we're yeah. helping with employee benefits and total rewards and all that. And I mean, that world changes every day. Literally so, every day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's no way to know it all. So, right. you know, we have some of the teams that I work with, some of the people who've been doing this for 30, 40 years who are incredibly knowledgeable, like all the time I hear them say like, I don't know, that's a good question. Let me go figure that out. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'll pivot back to a question you asked a bit ago about what should um, job seekers right now do? Because I think that's really, that's I think that's so important. Um, and it kind of ties into all of that. It's just, you know, you gotta do a job search a little bit different right now, right? Um, and again, it depends on your function or your um, you know, um, industry and, and where you're at in your career. But patience is probably the number one thing. And then being very, very persistent um, because you shouldn't stop. People, are, companies are still hiring right now. Um, you know, uh, we have people in our program landing every single day. I'm getting, we get these final reports. Every time someone lands, we get a report email comes in and they've just been coming in like crazy lately. I had two HR executives land in the past two weeks. Um, so, you know, don't give up, don't stop. I mean, it's so easy right now to just sit back and, you know, um, 
just say, you know, well, no one's going to find a job right now. And I just don't think that's the case. So keep going, you know, do some things that can be impactful every day. And then obviously do a little bit of self-care as well, because that's very, very important right now. Um, and some of those things are like making sure your LinkedIn is completely optimized and updated. There's a way to go about doing it. It's one thing we do at Challenger for our clients is we we do a 30 point LinkedIn analysis and optimization report of all their profiles. To, and basically all that means is if someone's looking for someone that does what you do, you want to be the first one that shows up in that search, right? It, that LinkedIn profile is more important than your resume. Nine out of 10 people don't ever see your resume, but 10 out of 10 people will look at your LinkedIn pro profile. So, oh, you know, people will, oh, oh, it's, it's, you get about 71% more interviews if your profile is, is optimized. So, you know, making sure that, um, you know, your it's not just your titles and dates and companies on there, but really what you have done and your accomplishments. It doesn't have to look like your resume. In fact, your profile is a, is a way to show your unique voice that your resume can't. It sh you, should, you should hear you in it, um, in your summary, in your experiences and accomplishments section. Um, you know, the words underneath your name, the headers, those are the most heavily weighted in terms of the LinkedIn algorithm. So those, it shouldn't say, you know, former account manager at XYZ company. If you're looking for a job, it's a little different if you're in the job, but it should have, you know, account management, um, maybe the industry you're in, whatever people are going to type in to find you. That's what should be in that section. So what are your thoughts on the people who have like, you know, ultimate connector as the header? I mean, that that doesn't seem to me to be doing you any favors, especially yeah. in a job search. Yeah, it's a big pass for me, but <laughs> that's okay. a personal. I mean, again, no company or um, recruiter or search firm is going to type in ultimate connector in their search box, right? Like they pay thousands and thousands of dollars to search this, um, you know, search this database, the, the world's largest human database. Um, they're not going to type in ultimate connector. And what does that mean? Like, I, I feel like on LinkedIn, when you're an ultimate connector, you know, it, you're not you're not holding its value the the place it should be held right which is in true connections and I myself have like five thousand connections I don't I don't know all those people but I've crossed paths with them at some place in my career and even that feels a little loose for me but yeah I'm I'm a hard pass on those okay. like lion what is that like lion five hundred what is it what is I I don't know what that means I that one I've never seen but yeah. yeah I just I see people trying to espouse their values in those lines when it's really that's really more for the search optimization or for people to be able to understand what you do or how you might serve them in some way um so yeah i i've i've felt that way same way you do yeah yeah i mean it's linkedin is so it's so important and yeah you want to make sure the right tone is coming through again an authentic tone is coming through for you um so that's something people can be doing right now that would be really, really helpful. You know, that isn't like going out asking super busy people for their time, which is, you got to do that too. But um, another thing is you got to become, you know, agnostic and all these different video platforms, you know, whether it's Zoom or WebEx or, you know, you need to have them all. You need to practice them all. You need to make sure that when you're going to be doing video interviews or video networking, um, that your background's okay. I mean, mine is quite busy right now. I'm in the corner of my bedroom, but, um, you know, it's, 
you know, just making sure your lighting's right. And um, I provided on one of the, an article I wrote recently about this, an infographic from someone else that um, was kind of like how to properly set yourself up in a video interview. Um, so I think, you know, getting really well trained in that right now is going to be huge because all interviews are being done over Zoom or the phone. Um, so that's something that you can do. And then be active on, you know, LinkedIn and sharing stories and writing articles and posting and, but again, things of value, don't just do things to do things. Um, that way you're showing up so people are staying top of mind. And then you got to do the hard work of just, you know, looking for jobs, uncovering the hidden job market, networking with folks. And that's going to be a little tougher in this environment right now, but it will, it will even itself out here shortly. Yeah. Well, one of the biggest mistakes that I see just as a salesperson, when I see people out trying to sell themselves in a job search is that they forget how it feels when somebody approaches them who's desperate, mm -hmm. you know, and and so I love all of your comments around put content out there, be engaged, be reaching out to people. But the one caveat that I will say is you have to make sure that you are doing it to add value, to really connect with people. You can be doing it to see if they can, if they'll hire you, that's totally fine. But yeah. there's, there's just, I don't know where the line is, but there's a line that a lot of people cross where I think it's what the audio that's playing in their own head when they say, you know, if you walk into a conversation or if you're, if you're about to post something thinking, Oh God, I really hope this gets me a job. You're yeah, going to come off as, as desperate. You know, it, you mm -hmm. have to be saying, okay, I really think this is valuable. And I think that this will help me be seen. That's fine. But you, you have to make sure that your talk track isn't, or your, your own internal talk track isn't one of attachment you know, I, I need something from this person or I need something from the world right now. You, as hard as that is when you don't have a job, you have to prep yourself with, I don't need anything right now. Yeah. I don't need anything from this person. I'm, I'm just going to be curious and add as much value as I can and then see mm, what happens. Such a good point, O'Brien. Yeah. 100%. It's, you know, I, I, I get to be in a really unique place because of what I do. So when someone comes at me like that, I think it's my responsibility to actually put that mirror up for them in a really compassionate way. But, you know, I can't tell you how many conversations where I've had where I was like, your, you know, your energy is manic right now. And, you know, you need, you need to be on brand. You need to believe in yourself. You, you, you know, you've done really great things and you are not reminding yourself enough of what your value is. And, and sometimes those people need to go do consulting or, something to remind themselves of how good they really are. And if you're not really that good at it, you should probably try to go get good at it, right? Um, do whatever you need to do to, to get that confidence. But, um, you know, or you're coming off really negative right now. I, I understand that you're down. This is one of the hardest things you're ever going to go through. So I'm not devaluing that at all, but you got to bring your A game if you're going to, you're going to show up with someone and whether that's, you know, work out or, um, you know, meditate or, you know, play your favorite rap song. Maybe that's what I do. I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> um, you know, just do whatever it is to get in your good space, you know? Yeah, yeah. sure. Hey, so important. No judgment on what you need to get <laughs> yeah. into your yeah. happy place. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah. If you saw the teeny bopper playlist that I play to make myself feel good. <laughs> okay, name one song. Name one song that's on it. <laughs> I remember uh, 
when Call Me Maybe came out. <laughs> yes. Me and another guy in our office, like on a like a Thursday, you know, the week wasn't over, but it was kind of a slog. We were, you know, trying to go out as young sales guys and uh, <laughs> we would just put that on and and just be idiots. So <laughs> Um, that's gonna yeah. that's gonna keep me smiling all day long. That visual, yeah. I love it. <laughs> I, I really hope people listen to this interview, and yet I'm also nervous at the same time. Um, well, I know. Oh my gosh, I love it. I know that we're kind of at the end of our time here. I have a couple questions that I've just been asking, um, just more general business questions, kind of along the theme of the the podcast here. Yeah, uh, we got plenty of time. Yeah. Okay. What is the purpose of business? Oh, I saw. Uh, yeah. It's such an interesting question. I, and I thought about it and I've thought about it. Um, so it's so, and I, and I feel I have a lot of different feelings on it that kind of contradict one another, but something I always say to folks, or I'll say to my friends sometimes, I was like, guys, remember, we're all just making widgets. You know, I mean, we don't need to be, or, or when someone says like their boss screamed at them, I was like, what? They don't need to be yelling at each other. None of this is really like in in the grand grand scheme of things. None of this is really all that important, <laughs> right? I mean, it's important because of, of the the system we've set up. But if that system wasn't there, it's not really important, right? So, sure. um, I think keeping that perspective that we all do work because as humans, that helps give us purpose. And purpose is really, really important. And, um, you know, some people's purposes are different, right? Like I couldn't, I couldn't go out and sell something that didn't help people, right? But some people are really great product salespeople and we need those people too, you know? And um, so I just, it's just something that, you know, lights a fire in us in a different way. If, if we do it right, if we don't, it can like squash us. Um, sure. But I think business is just something we do as humans to to hone our skills and make us connect with one another. And but I also am like a semi hippie, so if we just like got rid of everything and we all like took care of ourselves and made the world much smaller, um, made our worlds much smaller, that'd be fine with me as well. Yeah. What about you? What's yours? Oh God! No, I'm the one asking the questions. <laughs> no, I'm I, so curious though. So mine is, um, I believe that companies need to make money to survive and to thrive. And so I think it's really easy to be on either side of the pendulum with this one and say, oh, well, a business's purpose is to make money. Or I think the worst answer is a business's only purpose is to drive shareholder value. Like I just, I think that that was a mistake that we made as a society not to say that profit is bad, because then I think you swing to the other side, which is, oh, it's all about people living out their ultimate purpose, and you know we should give people everything we can, and and I don't think that's right either, um, and I think yeah. you know that leads to a lot of bankruptcy, but right. <laughs> right. but I think there's a blend where a business is a way, like if you go back, if you just go back to when we were mostly farmers, right? Like businesses are a way that you provide for yourself and you provide for your family and, and you provide for your community and you do that by adding value in a way. Mm -hmm. And so I, th I think that 
the purpose of business, I think when it's done right, is that you are providing value to others while enriching the lives of your employees. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. What a great cross section. <laughs> you don't want to blow the whole thing up and just be peace. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's not my style. My brother lives in Nashville <laughs> with you. I mean, he would love that. See, it's it's kind of a product of our environment where and that's that's true, right? Like I when I lived in Chicago, my um my world was much bigger, right? And I found my ambitions to be and there's no judgment on either side of this. Um, and I think people go through different stages of this in their career and life and kind of where they're at. And, you know, I'm at like baby making stage. And so therefore making my world smaller here in Asheville and having a small community and making sure I'm, you know, taking care of the, taking care of those around me and supporting my, my neighbors. And that's, that's become more important than when I was in Chicago and I was, you know, on the speaking circuit and I was, you know, doing a ton of podcasts and, you know, work and going to every networking event. Like I'm just at a different stage in my life and I wanted my world to be a lot smaller. So again, that's probably where my business answer is coming from right now is like probably smaller is better, <laughs> you know, but yeah, it's just yeah. interesting. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, and I think that goes to the value of knowing what you want and allowing yourself to change that over time. Yeah. Listening, listening to your gut. Right. And yeah. Just, well, maybe that's where, you know, you, you mentioned at the very beginning of this that I don't know what the number, but some huge number of people that you work with go on to get even better jobs. And I would imagine that there's an element of, you know, that they've just been doing the same thing without thinking about it for a long time. And when given a choice, when, when forced right. to go that's out just, yeah. and find something different, yeah, not a choice, when you're forced to go out and do something different you kind of have to take a fresh look at it and you say, Oh, well now, yeah, I, I can go find something that fits me a little bit better than that one fit me before. And I've, mm -hmm. I worked for a company that I was like, Oh, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make this work. And I wound up leaving. And after I left, I was like, Oh, that wasn't, that wasn't a fit Horrible. at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I hear that almost every day that I talk with people um, where, you know, one of the first things I ask folks when I'm on the phone with them, that they just lost their job. It's just, you know, how are you doing? What are you, where's your head at? What are you thinking about? And, um, and I, and I keep in touch with them throughout the time. So, you know, and they go through this process of, you know what, I, I don't think I realized it, but I've just been really complacent and, you know, I had a job and I was going to work and I'm terrified and I wish this didn't happen. And, um, uh, but maybe I could do something a little different. And, um, all those things can exist at the same time, you know? Um, and you have to think about it too. We used to live in a world where you could be in a job for 20 years and that was really well valued by recruiters or search runs. But now, because CEOs aren't, are averaging two and a half years on average in, in the top role, you have to think about their business plan. They got, they got two and a half years to think of it and execute it. And then if someone else, if it's not working, someone else is going to go in and, you know, and that business plan is going to change. And so companies are changing so quickly that if you stay in a role and here I am as a 15 year employee, so, um, but I'm not going anywhere. So I'm coming up on 11. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. there's obviously exceptions to these roles, but, um, if a recruiter comes after you and says, you know, or, or you find yourself in a job search, that's a better example. And you've been somewhere for 
10, 15, 20 years, the recruiter in their mind now is going to think, well, you've been complacent. You don't know how to deal with change. Changes is, you know, a part of this now. So you have to just be really conscious of, of where you're at in your career and are you continuing to grow? And, and if you are, and you're moving into different roles in a company that's had three different CEOs and you can, you just got to know what that story is to be able to tell, you know, how you have changed and grown through the process. But, um, but a lot of times, you know, 96% of our clients find equivalent or better positions. And a lot of, it's not always compensation, but a lot of that's compensation because, you know, you're getting like 3% increases, right? Every year when you're in a role, whereas if you go to another company after five, six, seven years, you can usually get a big jump, right? Because they're trying to track you over. So um, you might've lost out on a lot of salary too. Yeah, no, that's a great point. That's a great point. Um, yeah. Obviously, people can call you if they need help with this stuff yeah. um, or reach out to Challenger. Um, but what other resources should people or could people be paying attention to? Are there any good books that have to do with this stuff or good websites or other good videos or resources or anything that you've seen out there? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm biased, right, because of what I do. But I, I really think there's there's nothing that compares to taking the time to build your foundation for, we're talking about job search or your career, but for job searching is figure out your story, figure out who you are, figure out what value come to the table, write down all of your success stories. How do you answer? What are you looking for? How do you answer? Why did you leave your last position? How do you answer the compensation question? You got to have those things down pat. You got to have them down so pat that, when someone asks you, you make it seem like you'd never thought of it before, but wow, here's my amazing answer. I mean, you've got to do that foundational work where a lot of people just go out there and they're just floundering and, and you get your best opportunities right at the beginning. So you need to be the most prepared um, by that. So I that, think that's a great point. Can you, can you say that yeah. again? Because I think that's a great point. Well, and that, I think that's one of the values of, I don't think, I know that's one of the values of outplacement is it gets them to stop and and do this foundational work so that they hit the market in a really clear and concise way very, very quickly. We try to get our clients out in the market with the resume and these stories within a week um, is so that you, you go after your best opportunities because you're the most marketable right before or right after you leave a position or while you're in a position. You're the most marketable. So you're going to get the most help from your network. You're going to get the most outreach. You're going to get the most response um, from recruiters the closer you are to your end date. And so that's also when you're the least prepared. So you got to make sure you do that work. And it's not like it takes weeks to do this, where a lot of people, it, they do take weeks to do this or to do their resume. Or another thing Challenger does is we do their professional resume for them so that they can't use it as a lightning rod of, I can't go out and do those things that are really hard, like get rejected every day until this is done. Because who's going to, who wants to do that, right? So uh, you got to do that work first. Um, and a lot of people, it's the number one mistake. A lot of people don't make sure they know that stuff first. That's great. Well, yeah. uh, we have run over the time that you allotted me, so I appreciate it. We, um, right. I'll put some of the links that you sent me in the show notes, but is there anywhere that people could go to look you up, um, find out more about you or, or reach out for some help? Yeah. So, um, obviously LinkedIn, um, you can always connect with me that way. Um, 
Challenger Gray and Christmas, we have our website is www.challengergray.com. If you have, um, you know, unfortunately in these times, a, a layoff coming up and you want to do it right or just want to hear about how to do it right, um, I'm always more than happy to have those conversations and we'll take really good care of your people um, and make sure that they, they do all of this that we talked about today well and right and they feel supported by you and, and us. Um, and you guys can include my contact information as well. For sure. Okay. Well, great. Yeah. Well, I'll put that in the show notes. I really appreciate you coming on and doing this. And I love, I, I got this sense from some of the research that I had done, but, and, and I know you obviously, but I really got it today, which is like, you are such an amazing combination of like grit and hard work Aww, thanks. and empathy. Aww, thanks. And, and so, and I think that, I mean, that's probably why you've been doing what you're doing for 15 years. Um, is because you have to be thick-skinned and driven to do what you do, but you also have to be empathetic and really want to be helping people. And so I appreciate you helping everybody you're helping right now and appreciate you coming on here. Thanks for asking me. I really appreciate it. Thank you're you. Welcome. All right. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Hey, folks, one last thing before you go. If you have a friend or colleague who you think would enjoy this episode, hit that little share button and send it their way. Also, if you like the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next one. That's it. Thanks for coming. I'm O'Brien McMahon. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.